opinions and that's cool Talking about movies that you once thought sucked But now you realize that they rock They might still suck Fear and Nothing Podcast Wow Welcome, everybody, to Fear and Loathing in Cinema podcast. Happy 4th of July to everybody. It's a day after July. We're full from our barbecue. We are sunburned. We're all in Texas in this dreaded heat, and all we can think about is toys for this podcast, this episode, because without toys, are we really living the life I don't know. I'm Brian Kluger, and I'm joined by the two hosts with the most here. Of course, the two people who I want to uh, save a town from toys. Attack of the killer toys and killer tomatoes with Preston Barton, Dan Moran. Dan, how are you? I am doing great. I'm excited to talk about this one. I, I'm i very excited to talk about this one. That's all I can really say without giving some stuff away. <laughs> right, right. Preston, you feel the same way? Yeah, Preston Barta reporting for duty, sir. <laughs> He's here. Uh, those clues should tip you off that the movie this week is a 1998 film released in the U.S. on July 10th, so very close to when we're actually recording. 1998, years, yeah. Small Soldiers. Uh, remember that little movie about the the action figures that come to life and they turn bad and there's some good ones. That's crazy. We're going to get into it. This movie was directed by the one, the only Joe Dante, the guy who gave us gremlins, you know, the guy who gave us uh, inner space, the burbs, the howling, you know, uh, this this guy is amazing. And it was written by a bunch of people uh terry rossio ted elliott adam rifkin and gavin scott a lot of these people have worked on like detroit rock city or they have worked on the godzilla even one of these writers wrote the godzilla 1998 movie which we did on this show a couple weeks Mm ago um and it starred a crazy ass cast including kirsten dunce jay moore phil hartman in his last role kevin dunn dennis leary and then voices of Frank Langella, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, even even Ernest Borgnine and Sarah Michelle Gellar and Christina Ricci. And then, of course, in some glorious, mysterious alternate universe, uh, Spinal Tap, Michael McKeon, Harry Shearer, (laughs) Christopher Guest in there as well, which is super funny. Um, So you got the Spinal Tap guys and the Dirty Dozen guys. Right? They did. And so this movie... Okay, so 1998, I was 16 or 17 years old, and I remember seeing trailers for this and thinking, oh, dude, this looks amazing. You know, this movie is going to blow it out of the water because this was released after Toy Story 1. So I wonder if it was kind of a situation whereas like maybe like Gremlins, you know, you kind of see this cute little pet and then everything goes tits up. But like, do that with toys. What if toys like turned bad and tried to kill you? Uh, and I thought the trailer looked cool, so I went to see it. And I remember, like, 
I remember enjoying it for the most part, but I remember feeling like the pacing was really slow back then for me. Maybe I was just, you know, a teenager at the time and I was wanting wham, bam type of thing. But that's what I thought. Dan, do you remember seeing this in 1998? Yeah, so I would have been like 13 or 14. And I remember being really excited for it. Um, I remember it had a cool trailer. Um, the poster um, said something like a big action, small soul, some some sort of funny play on words that when you're 14, it like appeals to your brains like that guy's a genius. Whoever came up with that, <laughs> the tagline on the poster. But yeah, I remember being real excited about this and making my family see it and going with my younger brother. So I, I, I specifically remember seeing it. But like all of our movies, for the most part that we talk about on this, it got a lot of life for me on vhs and early dvd so i definitely had it on both of those i believe okay and preston uh was this a childhood movie for you or are you loving this back then wait, wait what's going on yeah it was a childhood movie so i was eight when this came out so like the perfect age of watching something that's a little more mature i had all the toys I definitely had the VHS. I still have some of the toys somewhere. They're in a box because I watched this with my son the other day. And he's like, which ones do you have? Because he's already like having me do some eBay searches for Chip Hazard and Archer and all the other characters. My my, I, So I believe I still have Archer, Chip Hazard and Brainiac and Ocula, the eyeball. Um, Bit, uh, what was it mcdonald's or no it was burger king i think they did toys. It was burger king. yeah yeah so they did toys too and i had some of those so i had like the get the name of the character it's like punch it or scratch it like the oh. one with the rhino and the the other green little green guy or uh orange guy and so i had that one so yeah i enjoyed it quite a bit as a kid i think i remember my dad really enjoying it because he always thought it was such a big deal that they used the Led Zeppelin song in there because they're notorious for not allowing their music to be used for much of anything until they opened it up a little bit over the years. But uh, yeah, we communication breakdown. We, we do that song all the time. So yeah, I enjoyed it a lot as a kid. That's uh, I, I mean, I enjoyed it too. And it kind of, I think some of the, so before we get to that on Rotten Tomatoes, uh currently it's got like a 48 percent and it a lot of people didn't like this movie when it came out uh and a lot of the complaints were that it was going to be too scary for children or it was too violent for children and watching it again i feel like uh, yes there is violence in it but it's almost kind of like an animated type of violence mm-hmm. um whereas like you might be getting shot with like sharp needles or sharp um objects it here the sharp object is like one of those corn cob sticker things and i think that's as far as it goes right uh i mean i'll i'll say that it probably is a little intense for kids because i want to say when i was eight and i saw this it kind of wanted it it made me want to be more like sid in toy story and just destroy toys, put fireworks inside of them, and just kind of adopt this more uh, violent mentality as I played with my toys. So I, I, I think in the beginning, Joe Dante was told by the studio, 
hey, we want to do a little bit of an edgier movie. And then they allowed him to go there. But then when, when it came to the marketing side, they're like, man, when you, when you, when you have a movie with toys, you got to market it towards kids. And so we kind of got this mishmash of both things where there are moments in the film that are a little more intense, more for mature audiences. And then there are moments that are kind of cheesy and a little more kiddish. So that tone is an odd thing watching it nowadays. I don't think it's a bad thing. I still enjoy the movie, but I imagine, because I, I was reading Roger Ebert's review. I was like, I wonder what he said, because he has a history with Joe Dante. And he's, that, that was pretty much, he gave it a thumbs up ultimately, but a two and a half stars. And he was mostly complaining about that, that violent nature to the film of like, once you get to the end and all bets are off and you see disembowelment of toys and all kinds of things. And because it's, <laughs> but it's they're plastic. Uh, animated and it's plastic. Yeah. Like we shouldn't treat it as such as if you were watching a movie that was, uh, with human characters, because then very much it would be rated R. Right. right. Um, but yeah, I think maybe at the time, because it was so new and this was like cutting edge uh, type of stuff in terms of like, you know, Stan Winston coming in to help with some of the character designs and special effects and things like that. And so we were seeing something that was a little, that was new. Uh, I mean, we're not new to the killer toy thing. I mean, we've got that with Child's <laughs> Play and everything like that. But obviously, that movie was marketed to horror, the horror genre. Uh, and right. Those are mostly dolls and stuff like that. So like yeah. with like an action figure, very much like G.I. Joe, that right. kind of hadn't been done before almost, you know? Yeah. And so maybe that newness got to some people at the time. Right. And so, so Dan, what do you think about that? Uh, the, the tone of the film, because I know during production, everybody was telling Joe Dante, the director, like, you not, you need to make an edgy as fuck movie, you know, edgy as fuck. but then sponsors came in and all this stuff. And it was like, you got to make it more kid friendly so we can sell toys, but I, watching it back and even back watching it then, it seemed like there was a good balance of both. What do you think back then versus yeah. now watching it again? I mean, I think it straddled the line, uh, kind of like what Preston said. If this were, were people or any of their weapons connected, then we would have an R-rated, almost comedy horror movie of toys coming to life and attacking people for sure. But um, it's funny that it's Joe Dante who's directed you know, some scary movies before. And so, and there's elements in there, but he definitely tones it down for the kids. There's, I forgot a lot of the moments of them being attacked in chase were a lot more suspenseful than I thought they were going to be than outright violent. I mean, they had the weapons and nail gun. Yeah. Seeing the guy with the, the steak knife at the end, you know, chasing the little, like all that stuff is like really creepy, but they never, they make sure that it's not the focal point. Um, to keep it toy friendly. And you can tell that this is a guy who directed a Looney Tunes movie. Cause I thought a lot of the deaths of the, any of the characters were very, very cartoony um, and kind of funny to be honest with yeah. you. Like when, uh, and, and I think they straddled the line perfectly. And just, uh, I just want to get this out of the way early. Pardon my language. I would fuck these toys up. All these people, all these adults running from them. I was just like, no, like we're going in, we're putting on some, knee pads some shin pads from soccer and we are putting these guys to the moon like well the lawnmower can... was a great idea oh 
Kirsten Dunst getting on that lawnmower. That was, I mean, if we were talking about favorite moments, that was my favorite moment because I was like, go, girl, go, let's go. Yeah. In the baton. Yes. There was it was good. So this movie runs at almost two hours. What do you feel like the pacing is? Because I feel like the, my biggest problem with the movie, even though I really like this movie and it doesn't deserve the flack that it got, I feel like there, it's a little long. Like, do you think that the pacing is there or do you think it's warranted? What do you think? Uh, you know, you know, my my stance on movies, if I don't love the movie or it's not it's not a Scorsese movie or just like an elite director, most of the time I'm like, probably could have cut 10 minutes from this. Okay. It's just, that's how I feel for like 90% of the movies that I see, even ones I love and enjoy, unless it's like an auteur or someone who's just got this singular focus. It's like, all right, give them all the runway they need. I'm usually like, could have been a little bit shorter. It's just my feeling generally. Okay. Preston? I'm trying to think of anything that, I would have cut out of it because it needed time to establish the kid and his relationship with his parents and having the toy store and like how his dad runs things. And then you got to show the the toy company with Dennis Leary being this uh, <laughs> type, military type coming in, um, wanting to create toys that can do the things that they promise in commercials, which is to interact and do things that that's why I really love that moment where he's like, can it, can it do that thing where it punches through the box? No. Okay. Well, we want to be able to do that thing. So it's got to establish that and like the, 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 the want to create a toy and some, and that's kind of the thing uh, uh, that we don't really think about when toys are made or like a lot of things are manufactured is, I wonder how much how much care they really are putting into, into the product so it can be like a genuine great toy versus something that can maybe have some uh bad I don't know bad motives or some sort of bad agenda there which here is they didn't care Dennis Leary's character didn't care what was put in it let's get it to where that so yeah they put uh, military chips inside these toys, and that's why micro processes from the departed. Yeah. Micro processes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> my thing, my thing after coming away from it is, uh, this movie. I'm not sure it would have been nearly as, um, you know, of a joy for me to rewatch it and really see where it's at. But it's kind of ahead of its time with putting the AI chips in to get interactive toys because that's all that's going on right now like ai is so big right now and putting in these mm -hmm. devices and chips that can learn and interact with everything like i was watching it like wow dennis leary was really on to something <laughs> and he, and, and he it's was scary. like this is the worst case scenario this is what all the people freak out about well let's talk about that opening scene because that opening scene of small soldiers is great because you have you know tobias fumke from arrested development and uh david cross and you have jay moore and there it's basically kind of like the movie megan where you have these engineers making these toys and they're pitching this toy and it's like this is what we want to do and then the owner of the company is like yes Let's do this. We got to make them all. And you you got three months to do it. And they're like, no, it's like we need way longer because something could go wrong. And it's like, no, we can do it in three months. And then, you know, 
everything from that. He's just like, it just fails, right? Like, I loved, I wonder if Megan took like that little snippet from Small Soldiers. You got to think that might have been the case, right? I mean, that's just the direction that every movie that involves making toys or something has to go. You have to bring the designers and manufacturers in there. But I did love that David Cross's character, Erwin Wayfair, um, is wants to create these toys that are all about adventure and cr- promote creativity and excitement and learning. And that was the key word that, that caught Dennis Leary's uh, character's attention, which was, wait, did you say learn? Nah, no, thank you. I, I want something that, that, that kicks ass and puts money in my pocket. Right. Right. I get it. I get it. Uh, so I, when that happens, you know, a few months later in this town in the Midwest, which could, you know, be any town Midwest, which I believe I was trying to figure out, I was like, is this the same like backlot set as Gilmore Girls or the Burbs? I'd probably go more so the Burbs because it, some of the same houses look kind of the same. But uh, they that's where we introduce to the kids and the people in town. And then. Uh, you see these um, these toys start to come alive. Um, and I think it's almost instantly that you really you really connect um, with what's his name with um Archer with Archer Alan, yes. the kid or yes oh, the kid or okay the kid not the kid. I mean the kid is here and there, but I think the toys have better yeah better uh emotional uh yeah. for, for me for me the moment that makes me really love it because when i think back on 90 1998 i definitely think of the encyclopedia online in carta and so yeah. that, that whole bit with him like surfing the internet i was like man i spent so much time just surfing through that and trying to just learn about as much as I could. I don't know. I just really like enjoyed looking at the pictures, different fish and stuff. And so him saying like keeper of Encarta. <laughs> Alan, keeper of Encarta. What happened yeah. to Encarta? The internet. The really? Wikipedia yeah. happened. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, now you're not putting in the discs anymore for yeah. topics A through C <laughs> to look stuff up. It's, it's all on the world now. Yeah. Right. So what do you think about the young Kirsten Dunst here? Like, do you, do you like her role in this? I mean, it's the same thing as a lot of what she did at that time. Again, she played the girl next door who had a boyfriend that looked cooler than the main character. So you got the whole Spider-Man vibe all over again. But uh, I really, I think the the moment where her character really comes to like, ah, yeah, this is great, is when she's kicking all those dolls' asses in her room with the, with her uh, baton, uh, baton, and uh, then the lawnmower scene that we already referenced. So yeah, I think she really owns the character by the end and is a lot of fun. But it's it reminded me a lot of like Jumanji when they're running from, uh, you know, a lot of the creatures and animals in that film um so it's almost like a greatest hit hits collection of a lot of the stuff that she was doing at the time but she still you know kicks ass yeah that's what it is she's definitely was typecast for what four or five movies in a row doing essentially the same thing but she was so damn good at it that 
yeah. it didn't even phase me until you just said i was like oh yeah that was the exact same thing in jumanji <laughs> yeah. yeah she just it was good to stop playing still... with toys right right now she was she was really good in it i wonder i'm curious i need to go back and look at like interviews and stuff but do anybody does anybody bring up this movie with her i don't know i'm sure there are some but yeah i me and susan actually were joking about it when we were when we went to uh the power of the dog uh premiere or the thing that netflix did out in los angeles that they invited us to for the critics choice association and i was like well obviously you're gonna bring up bring it on or drop dead gorgeous or something like that which you know is definitely there in my mind uh I think she, uh, Susan asked me, like, what would you bring? I was like, small soldiers. <laughs> so, <laughs> small soldiers. No, that's good. That's good. Um, so this this cast is like of great comedic actors such as Kevin Dunn and Dennis Leary and Phil Hartman, David Cross, Wendy Shaw. Uh, just lots of great comedic why why do you think they went comedy with it do you think it's like so people would recognize comedy in this kind of horrifying setting i think that's just appeals to joe dante like he likes to work with i mean that's i i read that he he just is a huge movie fan and always has comedy sprinkled into his work and i enjoy it and so i think uh, he just wanted to be able to work with the, you know, Christopher Guest types and for all the, this is Spinal Tap people. And well, I think he originally wanted to have the Predator cast voice the characters of the Commando Elite. Yeah, um, it's, it the Commando Elite the was the Dirty cast. Dozen, right? Yeah. I think I read that in an article. Yeah. Maybe Wikipedia. Yeah. Oh, or Encarta. It might have been on Encarta, to be honest with you. <laughs> and i'm that. glad yeah. that joe dante uses people from his other movies like one of my favorite movies is explorers and so you have uh you, you have robert picardo coming in to this movie from that and then of course dick miller which i think is in every joe dante movie mm-hmm. um i love i just love seeing stuff like that and seeing those characters those you have like rand howard for a second the what Rance Howard. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, he was like the neighbor guy. Yes, Rance Howard. He's he's in a bunch of stuff like that, and I just love that. I mean, the Howards in Hollywood go all the way, but yeah, Rance Howard in there. Um, I just love that. And then the, did, did you like having Tommy Lee Jones and Bruce Dern and Ernest Borgnine, and then even Sarah Michelle Gellar and Christina Ricci, um, yeah. part of these voice casts? Great. It was amazing. Like it, looking back on this cast, I was like, holy crap, they have like this is an incredible cast. If you just put this cast out there in a hypothetical world, if you listed this cast for someone and was like, do you think this movie was incredible? What kind of movie do you think it was? Do you think there were any Oscar nomina- nominations? You'd look through it and be like, I mean, maybe. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely a comedy. It's definitely isn't like actually it's small soldiers. <laughs> They'd be like, what the? <laughs> it's it's a amazing cast that he's assembled for a a toy attack movie like a genre movie no I it's my, i think my favorite voice that's kind of unexpected is bruce dern as mm-hmm. as link static like 
he was like my favorite commando of the commando elite when I was a kid. Cause I liked, you know, his, his headphones and his binoculars. I, I definitely had that toy from Burger King that had the crawl with the binoculars. And I always just really liked his voice. And then it just kind of blew my mind as, as I watched it the other day, I was like, Holy shit, Bruce Stern voiced him and I can hear it, but he sounds so young and it's, it's it's unbelievable and then yeah jim brown as butch uh meat hook like ernest borgnine man they're they're it's super well cast super well I, was, cast. I was a big butch meat hook guy i remember having that toy that was a cool toy yeah the butch meat hook it's such a good name too <laughs> it's great it's, yeah. it's great all the names are great there's uh Rick bazooka <laughs> it's great uh, it's so good so with all of that being said, let's talk about Stan Winston's work on this movie, making it practical puppet effects crossed with maybe a little bit of CG. What do oh, you yeah. guys think of how this, some of this stuff holds up? Uh, again, I go back to another nonstop thing we say on this podcast, but somehow this holds up better because there was so much care put into it. It didn't look like the CG was in there just to enhance the interactions and enhance the way it looked in the, the world. And to, yeah, and to move the story forward, but it doesn't look like, okay, this actor was on set for six weeks acting with a yellow ten tennis ball, and then on some days it was an orange tennis ball with a blue line on it, and it's just, you can tell there was more uh, physicality in the with the actors, which gave more believable believable roles or i mean um performances is is how it felt to me I, I thought that it held up amazingly well and some of the movies that are coming on disney plus right now that have cg characters that have been made in the past you know two or three years i think this looks just as good if not better than some of them so kudos to winston and his team and then the early cgi just making it look smooth it was i, I was shocked at how good it looked once looks I, better in the flash it certainly <laughs> does. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I don't know uh, if it's like 100% seamless of going from a moment that has obviously it as a toy being puppeteered or uh, worked in some capacity uh, to showing the CGI moments because the, there, there's moments with like Archer walking across a table um, where, you know, you hear the, the thing that kind of helps bridge the gap a little bit is because when you're watching it and you see it and it's like, okay, that's the toy. And then it has like very slight movements. Uh, but then when you cut to the CGI, it's like they're moving at an entirely different rate. So the rate's not 100% seamless, but I think as Dan was saying, like the look of it is carried over. And I think part of what grounds those moments is the sound effects is because they, they keep that like all yeah. those sounds uh, with it. And so I think that helps, but I, I think watching it nowadays, I can kind of recognize that it's like going from, again, referencing the flash, Michael Keaton standing there versus him flying around and punching people like crazy um so or, or like the toys just being they're they're taking the, the focus it's a magic trick you're at the end with them in their remote control cars with chainsaws on them or whatever it may be the hedge clippers and 
you're focused on the hedge clippers, but when you look at them, it's like the toys are just sitting in there. It's not like they're going woo or right. you know, or something like that. So it's a little bit of magic there to kind of distract you a little bit. But I, you know, I've seen this movie enough times where I can say I'm looking at every detail, the the, the mechanics of everything going on, and so. Um, but for if you're watching this like one time or a few times rolling through, I think it accomplishes everything that it needs to narratively uh, to where you won't pick up on those details. Interesting. No, I, I think, I think it still holds up. Um, the use of those practical effects are pretty great. And I want to say like one of my favorite moments in the movie is when Edwin Starr's war comes out and the elite bursts out of the garage with all of their little cars, with all of their little stabby weapons. Oh. <laughs> and they're playing war. And then that's when you see Kirsten Dunst get on the moped and like try and it, that scene is so good. It's like, that's the big action sequence. And yeah. uh, I just, how they filmed that from doing close-ups and then from back, because in wider shots and like going back to what you said, Dan, it's like, yeah, you can put on some shin pads and go up behind one of those cars and kick it, you know? Oh yeah. But I think like with like the projectile weapons and stuff that might've been more difficult, but I love that scene for some reason. And I think war was great with that. Cause it's like, it's fun, but yes. also a little scary. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the balance. Like right there. That was that scene. I'm giggling, but also I'm like, this could be terrifying for my son. You know? <laughs> yeah. Have you shown it to him yet? Yeah. He enjoyed it. He thought it was awesome. He, he asked a little bit about the toys and he wanted to know if there was like a net, everything to him now is like, Oh, so there must be like a Netflix series. Right. And I was like, yeah. no, buddy. Cause like my kids, it's just like, Oh, we watched the trolls movie. Now there's, 300 episodes of a trolls cartoon you know it's just like everything's always and i was like no this is just a one and done and he was like oh okay so that's it and i go yep <laughs> well it's it. weird because um back in 2014 small soldiers was purchased by justin lynn the guy who did like star trek beyond and fast Damn. nine and tokyo drift and fast and furious six he was going to do another like a remake of this movie of small soldiers really? and then it didn't happen and then in 2019 when fox and disney merged uh they canceled the remake for it oh. and i was like wait why like this would be amazing right now why would you cancel it i feel like throwing 60 million dollars of a budget to have another toy attack movie that can balance that parents and kids can go to that's live action with some mixture i feel like that would be successful i know well really so successful. this movie cost about 40 million dollars back in 1998 which is no small budget wow. really and it made almost 90 million so it more than doubled its budget i'm just curious on why since the merger of fox and disney why they would cancel this one like pressing any any insight to that? I would just say that Disney likes to promote happiness and peace with their toys and everything. And so they were probably worried about the messaging of it, I would say. But uh But that's yeah. weird because like they're not releasing, you know, they're doing live action Disney movies, which I'll bite are a little darker than they're animated, but they're not releasing Mickey or Donald anymore, you know? Like it's it's all TV. Right. It's it's uh it's all Avengers yeah. or Star Wars right now, which is arguably darker. Why couldn't they do this type of movie? 
Yeah. yeah. And, and it would give them a chance to have some fresh IP mm-hmm. to do like what I said. I mean, they did a Chippendale cartoon movie. Yeah. That was very Disney much Plus. For adults. Like, yeah, that was very much for adults. And like, you could do easily do a small soldiers direct to Disney Plus movie. And if it does then, well, if it, if it does it, it gets pulled right off there. Yeah, and and then turn it into a series, and then also just merchandise wise, like the if there's one thing you can say about the movie and the creatives behind it, like Gorgonites, great name, mm-hmm. all the designs of the Gorgonites, awesome, like their roles, who they are, the personalities, like that is a great group of toys that, I mean, my kids would want to play with. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. Okay. Makes sense. So if you got, if you, if let's, let, let's rewrite this, let's, let's do this. Let's uh, let's pitch okay. this. Okay. Yeah. We are making a remake of small soldiers for Disney plus going to happen. How do we do this? Do we bring back some of the same characters? Is it going to be like a, a remake sequel or are we using new toys from the Disney universe to do this? Or, or do we just bring back this, uh, the elites and um, the Gorgonites? Like, what, what do you think? What do you think the best way to go about this is? Someone closed down the factory. It's been closed for decades. Some Don't kids go in Amazon. there. Yeah, it's like a, all, it's getting like repurposed or something like that. And they find all the old toys and activate them. And it goes that way, and it, like they take over like an Amazon shipping facility or something like that, and Dallas Vintage Toy Store, like they're all there, and then they just, <laughs> that like, would be cool. We can't collect the- nostalgic toys anymore, guys. Kill they're, voiced, they're voiced by the cast of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's what I was going <laughs> to ask. Who do you cast in the voices? I love the Always Sunny thing. Get <laughs> all of them to do a voice. Um, you would you would think like you know like McFarlane toys or somebody like that yeah. would be having it would would it be kind of like a like the remake of Space Jam type of thing where like Without it would LeBron. be like an, a universe full of all toys everywhere coming in and you would see like the the shark bots and the Transformers huh be like Ready Player One like yeah just that moment where you're like oh street, my god it's street street sharks yeah street yeah. sharks not shark bots. <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on. Preston will keep dying shark inside bots. because he so loves get this street thing. sharks. Are these bots that are also sharks, or are they sharks that are bots? <laughs> they are right there. <laughs> there they are. Shark. I see them. <laughs> street sharks, awesome. Power Rangers, Star Wars, and Jurassic Park, and then some X Men and Spider Man ones. But yeah, no, I I think that's how you reboot it. You do it that way. You. You get some fun cast in it. You get who cares especially now that you have Disney, you can do like Star Wars toys. Yeah, you get, right, um, right. You, I mean, how cool would it be if you had the old toys, but then at one point, you know, Luke Skywalker, and you hear the the Star Wars theme, and he pulls out his lightsaber. But that's what would make it funny. Like if the AI, with how AI is, it's them trying to inject AI into all these toys, so all these toys just download the personality of yeah. their toy characters so it's like yeah. toy anakin yeah toy obi-wan and they're always argue bicker you know you could just make it funny like it could just be funny yeah oh but man you know what i just thought about when you were talking about when we brought up star wars is you remember indian in the cupboard 
Yes. Movie. They had Star Wars toys in Jurassic Park and they put it in the cupboard and they turned it on. You like to see it come to life. Yeah, I do remember that. Indian in the cupboard. Wow. I remember that. I, I remember reading that book and I remember when the movie came out. They, Ooh. And you could, and then, you know, the big reveal for nerds like us, since no one else will remember this movie until after they listen to this pod, you have Kirsten Dunst show up in the third act. Yeah. And she's like the Sarah Connor type of person. Right she's just militarized. I've been waiting for this for th- 25 years. She's been building an EMP in her garage, just like, they're going to come back. She doesn't oh. use no more toys like her, like the kid, her, her brother, no ki- no toys. She actually owns the largest lawnmower now, like one of those yeah. giant industrial ones. <laughs> this is genius, people. Come on. We need to pitch this. Why, like, we need to pitch this. Why that they would give us money for this. Make it a family affair. Have Jesse Plemons be like the factory owner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would love that. Do you, do you like this idea, Preston? I do. I, we sound like red letter media. Like we're just pitching our own idea here and we should team up with those guys and come up with some, but yeah, I, I like that idea. I like it. That's a great <laughs> idea. Oh my goodness. So so small soldiers, where is it now? Because has small soldiers gotten like a big collector's edition Blu-ray release or 4K? Oh, no. Like I don't think so. I think I think it's on Blu-ray, but I think it's just like a very yeah, bare very bone. small one, yeah, very like small a, release type of thing. Guys, eleven dollar. Guys, I'm not even kidding you. I just, this is like the strangest things that happen in our lives sometimes. I just Googled small soldiers to look up the things. Movie web, gaming modal, comic books says small soldiers fan film imagines an epic modern reboot. Some fan did like an eight minute, five minute trailer imagining um, the violent toys, small soldiers once again fighting like a proof of concept trailer. I see that. That is. I mean, what what we're sitting here like we picked this movie last week. We're not out there Googling for a random video game company talking about. It's incredible. What a weird world we live in. Let's get this thing up. How, how did we capitalize on this? Right. How do we do this? I'm telling you, we need to have like a little pitch series because this is this idea is great. And Small Soldiers is a good movie. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess we talked about a little bit about people maybe not getting the tone of it being, is it violent? Is it comedy? Is it for kids or not? But I think the characters in this, the acting, the, 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 the actors in the film all deliver and Stan Winston's uh, toy and visual effects are great for the time and still hold up. I don't, it's a good movie and there's nothing else like it. I don't think. No, like as far as like, you know, something like Megan, might be but megan's a doll it's one person it's not like a group of action figures type of thing right yeah it's it, this is much you can make this much more kid friendly i could we could easily make this a pg movie that could spawn multiple direct to disney plus sequels that cost them less than 20 million dollars to make and we'll stream the hell out of them like this is not a hard they just have to pay a voice cast. So they need to pay a couple of people who are recognizable to record in a booth for approximately a week. You know what I mean? Like Disney can afford this. Let's get it going. 
So do you, do you want the cast of uh, Always Sunny to do this? Yeah, they can be the Gorgonites. <laughs> <laughs> I want oh. Danny DeVito as the as uh, Archer. As Archer? Oh, good God. It would be so good. Preston, anything to add? Um, I don't I don't know. I think if I was speaking more realistically about it, uh, it's hard to just not of the actors that are still alive to not use Tom Lee Jones as Chip Hazard. It's just like one of those things, kind of like probably what Barry Jenkins was thinking when when they were doing, or I guess uh, John Favreau, since he did Lion King, using James Earl Jones as Mufasa. It's just like, it's like so, it seems like so, like that is Chip Hazard. I don't know how you can like break beyond that. Franklin Gallo would be a little harder to, pull off because because uh, he, he's uh he's come up on the in the news a little bit <laughs> lately um yeah so uh yeah i don't know i would like to use a lot of the same cast members if i could um but yeah having the it's always sunny cast like i don't charlie day would make a really good insaniac like just a fast <laughs> talking just but uh yeah, I think I think if if money's no object, let's get like the cast of the Expendables to be the <laughs> the commando. We just have get them get every get every '90s star, and then just have Jason Statham in there for fun. Jean Claude Van Damme. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you're just doing voices, it wouldn't cost much to get them to do voices for like yeah, a day. That would be very that would be very funny to have like Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jason Statham. <laughs> Just Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, that was the Dirty Dozen back then. Dolph yeah. Lundgren, yeah. That would be very, very funny. But I like this multiverse type of toys with their... Oh, it's such a genius idea. Oh. Small soldiers, everybody. Yep. It's on Pluto TV for free. Uh, and then you can purchase or rent it anywhere else. Uh, but if you have Pluto TV, you could actually watch it without ads, which is great right now. Hey, wait, 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 before you close out, you gotta you gotta talk about Phil Hartman. Oh, well, R.I.P. Phil Hartman. No, Phil Hartman's amazing. This was his last feature film role before I mean, he actually uh was killed and murdered two months before this was released, I think. Yeah. Um, he's so good. I you know that dude, he delivers my favorite line in the whole movie, which, which is, is the the part where he doesn't believe his daughter and he's like we're going to pay all kinds of money to deprogram you because they think that they're like tied to like a cult or something like that. Like they brainwash you. We're going to deprogram you. <laughs> what do you think it is that bring like, Phil, there's something about Phil Hartman roles that just are just so warm and fuzzy almost. What do you think that is? He's really good at playing. Like, he did the same kind of role in Jingle All the Way where he's like this, uh has the best things on the block kind of tech in uh as the neighbor character to the central character in the film but he's just really good at playing like this slimy dick uh <laughs> so um yeah like he's not in it a whole lot but i definitely love that whole interaction that he has with kevin dunn with like my satellite dish, it's being like, they didn't move the satellite dish. It's already there, but the tree's in the way. They didn't account for that. So he's just going to chop down his neighbor's tree without even asking for permission. 
And <laughs> so, yeah, it was good. No, I, I liked it. Do you like Phil Hartman, Dan? Love Phil Hartman. I love Phil Hartman. And this was the stuff that he excelled at. Um, obviously, the SNL stuff and the comedic genius. But when he could show up in these family movies and give the adults something kind of to chuckle at and be like Preston said, kind of an asshole, but still like so lovable and warm at moments too, where you're just like, I like this guy, <laughs> Like you can't help but just smile at him and enjoy him. So yeah, yeah it's kind I, of a bummer that this was his last movie. I can't remember that line that he says where he's like, uh, a talk, a talking, uh, something. And he's like, please, I can't remember <laughs> what he said. Do you remember? No, but I'm thinking now it's going to bug me. Uh, uh, I would have to look up the quote, but I was yeah. like, he, he's like saying something like Pinocchio or Jimmy Cricket or something like that. And he's like, please, like his delivery on stuff is always really good. Also, I liked uh, Anne uh, Magnuson, who played uh, Alan Abernathy's uh, mom. Like she gets a great scene where it's like a little moment of her with the tennis racket and she's like swapping those little fireballs away and, and exploding uh, the the commando elite in their in their uh, like RC or whatever they happen to be driving and they blow up and she just has a moment of like giggling and like you're like oh she's like she used to be a tennis player when she was in high school and she's getting that moment where she gets in so I thought it was like a badass mob kind of moment so I really liked that. That's good. That's uh there's there's so many good moments in this movie that I hadn't watched this movie in a while and they're just it kind of all came back to me and it just holds up still. I don't I, yeah. And it ended with the Titanic moment. It did. It did. End. I hope we don't hit an iceberg That's right funny. after the success of Titanic. <laughs> Which is really funny. Um cuz you know like they're having a good time. It's, there's there's something about this movie that's just it feels nostalgic in a way, but it's also just also good. I don't know why the low ratings and why people hated it so much back then, uh, but I think it's one worth revisiting. And I mean, unfortunately, it's through it's well, it's through Universal right now, right? Like DreamWorks and Universal, so it's not part of yeah. Disney or Fox, so. Uh, I don't know if they have the rights to it still, but I just don't know when we would see this unless a boutique company came and be like Arrow or Scream Factories, like we're going to buy the rights and we're going to release it finally again with some amazing extras. But I hope they do because this movie needs to be seen again. Like there's not another movie like it out there, really, I don't think. Right. Not like this. I'd like to see a sequel too, kind of like this. How to Train Your Dragon 3 type thing where yeah. Alan's grown up and he's like sharing stories with his kids. Like, I used to have these toys that, like, where are they, Dad? They went to, they went down the river, got to pop in the old Encarta disc and find out, oh, where, where is their Oregon or whatever, their, their homeland. And then they go out, he goes out there to try to find them. And they're all like rusted from like rain and everything is like, We'll we'll restore them and uh, yeah they're they're back at it so there's yeah. that possibility too. It would be great. Uh, no, go see Small Soldiers. It is it's out there. Um, watch it again or seek it out if you're listening. It's it's worth your time. Uh, yeah, would y'all give this a good recommendation? 
Yeah, super solid. Yeah, I got nothing bad to say about it. Watch it. Absolutely everyone should watch this. Small small soldiers right there. Hell of a cast. Uh, we are Fear and Loathing in Cinema Podcast. Thank you for joining us every week. You can find Dan Moran over there in Austin, Texas. Buy him a piece of barbecue. Buy him a beer. And follow the Instagram he runs, which is Fear and Loathing in Podcast. On Instagram, he's doing all sorts of cool things. Uh, Press and Barta, you can find all of his interviews and reviews and analysis of film on freshfiction.tv and on the Denton Record Chronicle. He's on YouTube. Him and I are doing an interview tomorrow, so you'll be seeing that soon on My Bloody Podcast. Uh, So yeah, and I'm Brian Kluger. HighDefDigest.com, BoomstickComics.com. And then radio shows Wednesday, Soundtracks Radio, uh, noon till two. It's going to be a good one. Happy 4th, everybody. Enjoy the heat of the summer. We'll be back next week with another glorious movie that you want to see.